You are listening to The Urban Andy Show. I'm your host, Lori Ikata. This show talks about important Native issues and highlights guests that are representing Native people in a wide variety of careers. Featured guests talk about how their Alaska Native culture impacts their work. Listen to all of the Urban Anti Show episodes on Spotify and theurbanantishow.com. Like our Facebook page and follow the Urban Anti Show on Twitter to stay up to date on future episodes. So I'm Laura, I'm a senior at UAF, and I host the Urban Anti Show. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Shoji Jessica Oji, Gwichaje Gotan Eatli, Ga Tanan Gwichi, Shahan Marlene, Shiti Bill, Shuchu Aurora, Shaote Danny, Gwichaje Gotan Eatli. Hi, my name is Jessica. I'm from Fort Yukon. My mother is Marlene, and my father is Bill. My daughter is Aurora, and my partner is Danny from Fort Yukon. Also grew up in Nenana and live here in Fairbanks and work at UAF. So can you talk about how culture and traditions were present in your childhood and in your upbringing? Yes, I, um, like I mentioned in my introduction, I'm from Fort Yukon and I grew up with my large extended family, my parents and my great aunts and uncles and my grandparents. And we um, had a fish camp along the Yukon River. That was a very important part of our life. I really talk about it as being foundational. Um, That's where I learned a lot of our Gwich'in values, uh, sharing, caring, taking care of one another, taking care of the land, um, respect and reverence for elders, and just being together as a family and learning and growing together. So that's just one example. And then I also grew up in Inanna, which is just down the highway from Fairbanks. Uh, There I was involved in our dance group and our dance instructor was Aggie Britt, Aggie Lord Britt. 
and we also had several elders, uh, Nora, Lord, and Paul, and Selena, Alexander, and others who really taught us our songs, and we performed all over, and I have very vivid memories of that because, again, we were taught a lot of our values, respect, listening, uh, not being afraid to try new things, uh, learning the songs, and performing in front of people. So we would perform in Ninana, we would perform at the Festival of Native Arts, we performed in Anchorage, and I just remember those times because they were really happy times. And also I remember Aggie in particular was a really amazing dance leader because she was super positive and she made us all feel loved and a part of the group. So that's just another example. And then lastly, I mentioned growing up with my grandparents, they were Gwich'in language speakers. And as soon as we'd get up in the morning, they would speak to us in our language, and then they would say, answer us, answer us back, and we would practice. But of course, you know, it wasn't um, easy, but I remember that language was always a part of my life as well. Okay. And so did you see the Native values like demonstrated, and do you demonstrate these Christian uh, values for younger generations today? Yes, uh, like I mentioned, that's where you learn the values through fish camp, through dance practice, through language. You know, our elders and our teachers, they might not say, okay, now I'm going to teach you about respect. It's just woven into everyday life. And yes, of course, your elders and teachers and mentors might talk to you about respect or uh, sharing, but they're not going to like stop you and say, okay, this is about sharing. This is about respect. It's just woven into everything that we do. They might say, okay, now that we're, we've smoked the salmon, we're going to go share some with our great auntie who can't go to camp anymore, or this person, because they're having a hard time, please go give it to them or go check on your great grandma down the road and make sure she has water and wood. So it's just really built into everyday life. And that's kind of how I try to lead my life. I don't really want to talk to people about what I do or how I live my life, but just to show them through my everyday actions. So one example that's very vivid for me is I was with my grandma. She came in from Fort Yukon. We were downtown, we were walking, and she just mentioned to me, you know, it's really important that you acknowledge everybody on the street. You never know what they're going through. You don't know that might be your relative. Maybe it's not. It really doesn't matter. Um, just show them love and kindness. And that really stuck with me. So in my life today, I really try to demonstrate those values and how I lead my life and how I treat people just by my actions. I don't need to say, you know, I'm a good person or I'm trying to do this or you know I don't even need to say that I've done something just through my examples people should be able to see how I live my values and if I make a mistake because we all do really uh, you know people will correct me and I just take that with humbleness I apologize when I need to and keep moving forward I really try not to dwell on it too much because we're all humans we all make mistakes we can only stand back up and just keep moving forward in a good way. 
Thank you. And can you talk about your position at UAF and um, what kind of things you do in your position? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am an associate professor in the Department of Alaska Native Studies, Rural Development and Tribal Governance. And so my workload, actually decided to turn it in not too long ago, consists of teaching. So I teach classes this semester. I taught a research methods class, RD650, it's a graduate research methods class, and TG, Tribal Governance 293, a special topics course on human services, policy, and well-being. And another part of my workload is research. I would say it's a very big part of my workload. I lead and co-lead several projects. My background is in social work, but my dissertation looked at the relationship between tribal governance and well-being. So a lot of my work focuses on how Alaska Native people, peoples experience well-being. And one of those ways is through our subsistence, I like to call it our traditional ways of life, practices, so hunting, fishing, gathering, and sharing, of course. And so I look at what creates conditions that allow us to do this. How, how are we able to live our way of life? And if we're not, for example, the last few years, we've had either no or limited fishing on the Yukon River. What does that mean for our people? I believe that when we're unable to fish and hunt and gather, it decreases our well-being because we're so connected to the land. So a lot of my research really looks at those relationships between people, between land, between culture, how does our culture, things like language, being out on the land, going to culture camp, sharing with an elder, learning to tan fish skins, how do all those things promote well-being for us? So a lot of my research focuses on those things and also when we're unable to live our way of life or practice our subsistence, what causes that? So I look at the, like the root causes and I try to push back against the systems that don't allow us to do that. So I'm a very busy person, but like I mentioned, I grew up at fish camp with my grandparents. They set a very strong foundation for me, and their guidance still teaches me and pushes me today. So it's not really surprising that I work on these issues because that's exactly what my grandparents taught me to do. Thank you. And you're also on the Fairbanks Native Association board. Um, do you want to talk about your responsibilities as a board member? Yeah, sure. So. This is one of the, I wouldn't say the greatest, but great. It is a great joy in my life to serve the Fairbanks people. And I say Fairbanks people because at Fairbanks Native Association, we serve both Native and non-Native people. We have over 10,000 Native people living in the greater Fairbanks area. We have programs in behavioral health education through Head Start and the Johnson O'Malley program. We have community services and a justice program, newly minted justice program. And I am the board president and I've been serving on the board, I believe six years. 
and it's been a great learning experience. Fairbanks Native Association started with very humble roots. There were a group of elders who witnessed many injustices in our community. They wanted to create safe and supportive spaces for our Native people and to bring people together in a good way. And so the organization started over 50 years ago. It's grown exponentially um, and we do such amazing work. We have an amazing executive director, Steve Guinness, and amazing staff who, despite a global pandemic and just a lot of challenges, have done remarkably well at serving our people. Um, as a board member, you know, we provide guidance um, and oversee the vision and mission of the organization, but the staff carry out the actual work. And so we work very closely together. Um, while I'm the board president, I really see my role as just a board member alongside everyone else who listens, who helps to lead and guide, but together. I think it's really important as a board that everybody has a voice. We reach consensus. We are all empowered to speak our truth and bring our experience to the board. And we have a great board um, from different, you know, tribes and cultures and ex backgrounds and experiences. So I think we're a great board and um, it's been a great honor to serve FNA. It is an amazing organization. Thank you. And can you talk about the degrees you have and why you chose those paths? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a UAF alum. I got my bachelor's degree in social work. And it's really interesting. I actually started my education at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, which a lot of people don't actually know about me. Um, it's a really great school. And uh, my dad encouraged me to, I, I got accepted. He's like, you really should give it a try. So I went and it was just such a change for me. You basically go to boot camp first for six weeks and then you are um, thrown into very rigorous academics. So I was taking 18 credits my first semester, Calc 1, Chemistry 1, Nautical Science, which is like physics. And um, government and one other class. Anyhow, it was just a huge learning curve for me. I was very homesick and it was just very hard. The academics were so hard, but you know, I did it. And that first summer I went on a training run on the Eagle, which is a tall ship. So it kind of looks like a pirate ship, but it's got all these masts. And um, I went for six weeks from Den Helder in the Netherlands to the Bermuda Triangle. So that was amazing, just meeting people from all over the world. I started my second year, and then I decided I still didn't like it. So I came back to UAF um, in January, and I had a lot of credit. So I was sort of just trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I took an intro to a social work class and really loved it. I loved helping people. Um, I did an internship at um, an agency that worked with people with disabilities, and then I did my final practicum at the Office of Children's Services. But I love the classes. I love the focus on community, um, 
grassroots organizing and seeing or effectuating change. I, um, you know, went on to get my master's in social work at Washington University in St. Louis, came back and worked for a while in Alaska in the Department of Social Work, and then I went back for my PhD in social work at Washington University in St. Louis. And the reason I picked that university is that it has a very well-known and um, rigorous program, so I knew I would be getting a lot of skills and methods and also policy, which I was have always been interested in, and would be challenged. So I've always liked the challenge and achieving my goals. So I went there and got my PhD from Washington University in St. Louis. So after that, I came back to Alaska and um, got a job at UAF and really haven't looked back ever since. Wow, you had a long education journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what kind of challenges did you face in your education? Yeah, like I mentioned with the Coast Guard Academy, I it was just, I felt very underprepared. Um, a lot of the kids, and, and also during my PhD program, a lot of the kids that I went to school with, well, adults, were... Um, at the Coast Guard Academy and then at my PhD, during my PhD, had been, um, I don't know, want to say trained, but they had been going to school, you know, either through private education or really strong public school education to, you know, get their graduate and PhD degrees. Whereas, you know, I grew up in the village. I grew up in Nenana. I loved growing up in the village. I loved my teachers. I loved my school. But I wasn't academically prepared for Chemistry 1, Calculus 1, Physics 1. Um, it just was a lot of, how do I say, brain bending. I had to really study hard. And of course, I was up for it. I've always been a hard worker. But that was definitely, you know... A challenge. I think always after my first semester, I was able to get the swing of things and figure out, you know, how to study and what I needed to do to do well. The other challenge was, um, you know, getting my PhD outside of Alaska. I found that I would sometimes have to educate even my own instructors and teachers about Alaska Native people, our culture, our way of life, how our land, the way land was settled, is very different than some of the, say, reservation communities in the lower 48. So there's always that moment of just educating others that can be challenging. Um, and then just, you know, a little bit of homesickness because growing up here and being so connected to my culture and then being in, you know, the Coast Guard Academy is in New London, Connecticut. So it's on the East Coast. And then St. Louis is in the Midwest and it's over a hundred degrees in the summer. It's just wow. all very different. Um, but I kind of had set my mind to just appreciating these places for what they are rather than what they're not because if I was constantly wishing for home then I would never be able to see the beauty of those different places. I think the first semester of school can always be hard for anyone you know even if I had went to school at UAF 
after high school, I think it would have been an adjustment for me. So I guess my kind of advice for students is, and anyone pursuing education is just sticking with it and getting through that first semester and trying to do your best because two things are true. If you do your best, you'll never have regrets. And if you do your best and make it through, you can decide whether you want to go forward or not. And just remember, home will always be there. So, and it's not a bad thing to go home. In fact, a lot of students in my classes, they take classes from home, and I'm 100% supportive of that. But I guess it's more of like your goals. Whatever you pursue, just stick it through for a little while to see, you know, how you do. Be proud of yourself. Do your best. And then you can decide if that goal's for you or not. But you have to give yourself a chance. Thank you. Great advice. And now can we talk about your the research you did for your PhD and um, what were your research questions and why did you choose those questions? Yeah, so you're making me think here back <laughs> for a while. It's been a while, but um, so my research, my uh, dissertation was examining the relationship between governance and well-being in the Yukon Flats. And the goals were multifaceted. For example, I wanted to create indigenous Alaska Native definitions of well-being and governance because in the mainstream literature, you'll see a lot of well-being literature comes out of, you know, international discussions, international spheres. So things like income, education, maternal and child health, all, all very important. But I had a hypothesis that well-being would be defined in different ways from a Native perspective. And I was curious about that. So the first part of my study were, was conceptual, getting conceptual definitions of governance and well-being. And governance was interesting to me because as tribal governments here in Alaska were sovereign tribes, were federally recognized, and yet the way that land was settled, most of our land, native land, isn't actually in tribal government hands, it's in corporate status. And so that creates a unique situation for us as tribes. We, you know, we have our sovereign power, but um, we don't have jurisdiction over our land because of the way land was settled. We are out on the land, we live in relationship with the land, we, I call it stewarding the land, but actually doesn't um, it's not owned by, you know, tribes do own some land, but most of it is in Alaska Native corporate status. So I was very interested in how my people define governance. And then I was interested in the relationship between governance and well-being, especially over pertaining to the relationship um, with natural resources. So, you know, for example, do we have a say in how our fish are taken care of or how our fish are managed. Very little, actually. Yes, we can go testify at the Board of Game or the Board of Fish, but we don't have tribally designated seats on these management bodies. And what that means is we have very little influence over what happens to the fish. And yet, you know, they're very important to us. We, we're fisher peoples. 
Um, same with moose and caribou. We live in very close relationship. We depend on them. They depend on us. We don't have very much say over their management. And that impacts our well-being. If anybody listening can think about it, you know, something so precious to you like fish camp or teaching your children how to fish or hunt or, you know, the meat that's given to you at a potlatch. When you don't have that or you can't do that subsistence fish, it really creates a deep sense of loss and you're not well as if you had your native food and your way of life. So um, that's why it's very interesting to me. I also pursued this topic because my elder mentors and some of the tribal leaders I was very close with, I was telling them about my PhD. I was like, yeah, let me get my PhD. Also, you know, I'm very curious about these topics. And they kind of steered me in that direction because they thought that was an important issue of our time. So I've been very guided and mentored by my own people. And I'm so grateful that they steered me that way because it truly is me. You know, I'm a fisher woman. I grew up in fish camp. It's fisher, salmon are a very big part of my life. So to be able to study their well-being, our relationship with them, just kind of feels like a dream come true. Although I will say that studying salmon right now at this time is very sad because our Chinook, our Chum salmon, they're not doing well. So I'm always thinking about them, like what is it that is impacting them? I have my ideas. I have ideas around what could help. I think um, there's many factors impacting them. You know, climate change is one that's brought up a lot. But I also think that we could do, we as society, with indigenous inclusion could do a better job at managing them or stewarding them, you know, living in relationship with them. But like I mentioned, as native people we here in Alaska, we don't have very much say in their management and that has really impacted them um, and us. So I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's an important topic. And can you talk about the methods you did to study for your research? Yeah, so um, I was really interested in talking with people. Of course, growing up as a Native person, I would say this is pretty true everywhere. We learn a lot through the stories that our elders and our parents and our aunties and uncles, anyone who, you know, were around tell us stories. They tell us stories about the past. They might say, oh, when I was younger, this happened to me and this is what I did. But they might not say, oh, you should do this. They'll just say, this is what I did. Um, so it's very natural to engage in stories with people because that just felt very native, I guess. And so I utilized qualitative semi-structured interviews I didn't want to guide my participants so much that I was basically telling them what to say, but I wanted to get at what is well-being, what is governance, how are these concepts related or associated, why is hunting, fishing, gathering important, and then I let the conversations just kind of go where they needed to go. We didn't always have a straight linear path, but rather I would sit down and spend hours and sometimes days and weeks with people 
just getting to know them better. I mean, I knew everyone, but it's different when you're a researcher. There's a certain level of rebuilding of trust because people know you as people, but then you're suddenly in this role as a researcher. So I just spent a lot of time with people. We didn't always just jump into the interview. And if we did, it was kind of awkward. You know, we, we, we really didn't have that time to just like get to know each other better. So, and that didn't happen a lot. Most people, we spent quite a bit of time together. I would go out on the boat with people and out on four wheelers and spend time in community. And then I also utilized observation um, because a lot of um, the people I was talking to, most of their values they demonstrated or how they lived their life, they did so by just doing it, not talking. So I just every day would take notes of what was happening in the community, um, you know, what I experienced, and was able to weave that into my research as well. So semi-structured interviews, participant observation, and then the last method I used is I looked at historical documents. Um, so sort of like secondary research where I was looking at documents. Maybe it was a tribal document where they made a decision around something. Um, you know, maybe it was like 20, 30 years ago when they were forming programs. But all of those documents really told the story of how tribes govern and how they do it for the well-being of people. So I used those as examples. So just a lot of like research and historical data and then participant observation and then the semi-structured interviews. Cool. And what were your main findings and the implications of your findings? Yeah, so that okay the main findings is well-being is very complex there's individual well-being which is things like spirituality learning your culture for some it meant sobriety i taught worked with a lot of elders who were sober they had become sober a while back and that was a very part of their own individual well-being and healing um, at the community level taking care of one another and um, you know, being able to have the tribe be self-sufficient, meaning that they were able to meet the tribal needs and create a sense of wellness for their tribal members, and then working together both in times of need and then also just for everyday events, fun events like 4th of July or um, Spring Carnival, that was very much demonstrative of community well-being. And then uh, governance was both formal and informal and so a lot of people talked about yes we have the tribal government we're recognized we're strong we have a government to government relationship with the US federal government but we also have our own I called it informal governance but really it's the traditional forms of governance like elders that you seek counsel from people who take care and honor those who have died people in the community that take care of children, even if they're not like licensed foster parents, but they create healthy, happy conditions for children. So, and those, though that type of governance is really rooted in our cultural values. So um, it's how we actualize our values and 
and show that we know them is by taking care of each other and like working together. So um, those were the findings and that hunting, fishing and gathering is absolutely essential to our well-being as native people. And when we're unable to participate in those activities, we're not well or we're not fully well, I should say. And so um, the implications were, you know, we need to continue to create those conditions where people can learn about their culture, they can practice it and pass it on. But we also need to continue to advocate and protect our way of life because we're always as tribes, I should say we, I mean tribal people, tribes, sovereign governments, we're on the defense because we have so many issues that we're facing from hunting and fishing rights to missing and murdered indigenous peoples to um, children in the foster care system to justice, you know, our tribal courts and meeting the justice needs of our people that it can be overwhelming at times, but we just have to do the best we can because these elements, hunting, fishing, tribal courts, um, child protection, natural resources management, education, they are critical to who we are. And we've always done these things even before like Western culture came. We just did them in our way. And we can still bring our indigenous knowledge and our traditional ways of governing back and use what's useful. Yes, we live in a modern world. Of course, you and I are talking on these microphones. It's going to be on like a internet or some sort of platform, but we're still native people. We still honor our values and we still, you know, are so close to our culture. So, um, the implications are we have to just continue to protect and fight for our ways of life. Thank you. And what other research projects do you want to pursue in the future? So I have my hands full right now. I'm actually not going to pursue anything at the moment other than just keep my projects um, up and running and running well. I am currently the principal investigator for a project called Indigenizing Salmon Science and Management in Alaska. And in that project, we document the breadth and depth of indigenous knowledge that exists regarding salmon science and governance. So we have projects all over the state um, in the Bristol Bay, Kodiak, Yukon River, Kuskokwim, and some in the Aleutian area, and we are really working to get students from each of those areas to help us collect the data. So we engage in interviews, talking circles, and multi-generational interviews where we ask people, what were some of the traditional governing practices around salmon management or stewardship? Um, how can those traditional governance systems help salmon management today? And how are the management systems that exist today, currently, how, are they effective? If not, why not? And how can our indigenous knowledge help improve them? So that project's been ongoing. I'm also the co-investigator on Tamamta, T-A-M-A-M-T-A. -A -A. Um, this project 
is a NSF National Science Foundation graduate research traineeship, and we support Indigenous scholars pursuing their graduate degree in fisheries or a related field like wildlife biology or Indigenous studies to, you know, pursue their graduate education to help improve these governing systems so that they're more equitable and include Indigenous knowledge and management and science. So, um, and then I have several other grants that I am a co-investigator on. So right now I'm very happy with where I'm at. I feel like all of the puzzle pieces fit. Everything I do is the connecting node is well-being. Every project seeks to increase well-being for my own native people and create equitable uh, conditions where we can thrive as Native people and stay and remain connected to our culture. Thank you. And can you, um, can you, do you have advice for students who want to pursue a career in research? Yeah, I think that my biggest piece of advice is just to get involved. You know, I think that a lot of people think of research as something big way over here and they don't really know what that is but they, they're just like research is over there and I don't really do research until they get involved and research is really interesting you can learn a lot there's a lot of different types of research projects that study everything from human behavior to you know plant ecology to socio-cultural relationships between people place and life um, indigenous languages, you name it. There's research in all different fields and realms. Um, and there's different ways in which you can conduct research. A lot of the work I do is connected to um, my own indigenous people and their goals. What, you know, whether it's decreasing um, suicide or increasing conditions that allow people to experience well-being or you know seeing our salmon become healthy and thriving again all of the projects I pursue are with community and driven by community so um, that's kind of my jam because I I didn't want to go to school and become disconnected from my own people and family and so I knew that I had to do work that involved and connected me to my culture. So that's, that's my little, you know, niche or however you say that word. But, um, you know, if you're interested in something like documenting indigenous languages or, you know, creating educational conditions where native students can thrive, there's probably research out there about it. You just have to find the people and get involved. So some of my students, they, you know, they're doing literature reviews that help our project or they're actually conducting the research in their home region. They're leading the research and they have our support. I say our, we have several co-investigators that we mentor and guide um, the students so that they have that you know, that safety net if they need it. But really, um, 
they're they're all doing wonderful they're all leading powerful research in their own region and they're teaching me a lot along the way so my biggest piece of advice is get involved and even if it's not necessarily like a topic you're incredibly interested in there's something to learn from it and people have different skills right there's people who are very good at quantitative methods and they're going to teach you about statistical programming and software and that's a skill that you just tuck in your tool belt um, whereas other researchers like me i'm more into qualitative methods how to actually interview people how to take good notes pulling everything together to create a story returning what i find through results back to the community seeking their advice sort of reincorporating it so um, just getting involved is an important first step and it sort of demystifies research, if you will. Um, so that would be my advice. Thank you. And is there anything else you want to add? No, thank you for this uh, interview. It's really awesome to see uh, leaders create different mediums for people to learn from through podcasts or blogs or you know, publications. It's really fun. Um, yeah, I think I'm just happy to be here and spend a little time with you. Thank you. Thank you for talking with me today. What? <laughs>